Hello, lovely single mums, and thank you for joining this podcast where we'll be discussing what to expect if your family law matter goes to court. My name is Lucy Good, and I'm the founder of Beanstalk Single Mums. We're an online space dedicated to supporting and inspiring single mums from all walks of life. We offer a blog which covers everything for your single mother journey. We have a single mum only anonymous forum, ebooks, and e courses, as well as heaps of exclusive single mum discounts on our brilliant discount directory. And it can all be found completely free on our website, which is Beanstalk Mums. But today we're all about podcasts and I'm very, very excited to welcome Carolyn Devries, who is the CEO of New Way Lawyers. Now, before I let Carolyn come in and have a chat with us, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her if you don't already know. Um, New Way Lawyers is Australia's first non-profit law firm, which was founded in 2009. And since then, Carolyn has grown the business to become one of the largest firms in Queensland, practicing exclusively in family law and estate law. And she is slowly but surely changing the way family law and estate law services are provided, which is something that I love about what she's doing. Um, (laughs) Carolyn holds a bachelor degree in law and commerce and a graduate diploma in legal practice. She has also completed a master's in human services, specialising in management of non-profit organisations. Carolyn is admitted as a lawyer in the Supreme Court of New South Wales and the Supreme Court of Queensland and the High Court of Australia. And she's been practising in these areas of family law and estate law since 2001. So, heaps of experience. Um, In 2012, she was uh, recognised for her work in establishing New Way Lawyers and pioneering this much-needed change in the legal profession. Carolyn was announced as a finalist in the Queensland Telstra Business Women's Awards in three categories, and we all know how hard it is to get nominated in these awards. Um, And she was actually announced a winner of the White Pages Community and Government category. And also in 2012, which was a good year, uh, Carolyn was a finalist in the BMAG Brisbane Person of the Year. Carolyn, welcome to the Beanstalk podcast. Hi Lucy and all the single mums out there, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here today. It's a real pleasure to have you on and I did mention that a lot of people will know of you, perhaps spoken to you, um, because you are our partner lawyers. New Way are the partner lawyers for Beanstalk, which means that you'll find New Way lawyers across all of our platforms, um, our website, on our single mum only anonymous forum and also on our Facebook group, the Single Mum Vine, especially Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights... Um, Carolyn and her colleague Linda give up an hour of their time to answer questions for our members around their family law matters, which is just a fantastic thing for us to have. Um, they also offer um, a 20-minute phone call if you need more support or your matter's slightly private. Um, but really importantly, if you did need to use their services further, they are non-profit lawyers, and that means their service is significantly cheaper than your standard lawyers. Um, and it's just another reason why I love them um, because we're all about keeping the cost of separation down as much as possible but sometimes as we're going to be talking about in this podcast court is the only option and court can be 
very expensive (laughs) and it can also be very emotional and another reason why new way are the perfect people to help us in this chat is because they've got you covered on both angles um the they've got you covered in terms of the costs they can keep the costs down for you but also they've got something called a client care program which is where they support you emotionally through things like court which i think is is nearly just as just as important as the rest of it. Can you just very quickly tell us about that client care program that you have? Sure, Lucy. So, yeah, we recognise that going through a separation and divorce is really, uh, it, it has legal aspects to it, Lucy, but at its core, it's actually emotional what you're going through. So not only do we provide the uh, best quality legal service, we also uh, provide a client care program to provide support to you and your family as you're going through this situation. So there's a number of initiatives that we include in our client care program. A couple of those that I'll share about now. We have a um, weekly blog uh, that goes out to to our clients um, and it covers off a range of different things like how to communicate uh, positively with your ex around parenting issues. Um, In the lead up to Christmas, we've got one coming up where if it's your first time separated, we're going to um, talk you through how to prepare for uh, how your traditions might look a little bit different this year and how to avoid some of the triggers that might uh, make people feel upset around this time of year. So, yeah, we send out that weekly blog um, to to all of our our clients on, on matters that are relevant to what they're going through. Uh, We also have two client care coordinators that uh, coordinate our client care program. And if your matter does go to court, not only does your lawyer go along with you, if you feel like you need extra support, our client care coordinators can actually go along and provide support at court with you, um, buy you a coffee, sit with you and make sure you know where all the facilities are and just give you that um, additional support. Uh, For any people who have been into our office, they'll know that in our client care and consulting rooms, we have a range of free resources, so books for adults and children focused on separation and divorce, and those books are free to take, and we really are aiming to help you kind of journey through the emotional side of things. So there's a lot of other aspects to our client care program, but that's a few aspects um, that we, we do provide through it, Lucy. Well, thank you for telling us about that, because I just cannot tell you how excited I am by the fact that you provide that service because I speak to so many single mothers every single day and the emotional toll of going into court um, or just going through the whole process is terrible and I'm so glad that you've got something to help them it's just fantastic so thank you for explaining that and now we're going to dig a bit deeper into what actually happens if you do end up um, going into the family court? So my first question for you today, Carolyn, is, of course, we all hope, as I've already said, to avoid the family court, but sometimes it is unavoidable. If a case were to go to court, can you just talk us briefly through the key events and the order in which they happen? Sure. So, Lucy, I'll break this down into parenting matters and property matters, because the process is different for each of those. So focusing on parenting matters to begin with, generally there's uh, some common steps through a parenting court process. And the first thing that people need to be aware of is that there actually is a general requirement that before going to court, parents have tried to resolve uh, the issues that they have about parenting through family dispute resolution. So in 2007, some changes were introduced to the legislation that 
made it a mandatory step for uh, parents to attend dispute resolution prior to commencing court. Now, there are some exceptions to that, and the exceptions uh, are on the grounds of if there's a particularly urgent um, issue relating to, to children, uh, if there's issues of domestic violence, um, or if there's other key issues of risk. So uh, it is a general rule that parties should be trying to resolve matters out of court, but there are some exceptions to that where you don't need to complete the family dispute resolution. Um, can uh, I process. very quickly interrupt you, very quickly, mm-hmm. which I don't usually do, but when you mm-hmm. say family dispute resolution, you, we, we might refer to that as mediation, is that right? Uh, they are actually slightly different, Lucy. So okay. family dispute resolution is uh, provided by someone who is registered as a family dispute resolution practitioner pursuant to the Family Law Act. Right. Um, and mediation, they share similarities, but they are, are quite different in terms of who can provide the service and um, the outcomes of the service. Probably the main difference between family dispute resolution and mediation is that if parties go through family family dispute resolution and are unable to reach agreement and then have to go to court, they're issued with what's called a Section 60I certificate. That allows parties to then uh, be able to go to the court and say, we've attempted our family dispute resolution but have been unable to reach agreement, therefore we're coming to court, whereas mediation doesn't have that that formal outcome as such generally. I've already learnt something very interesting, thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I'll let you carry on now. I didn't realise that. That's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Yeah, fairly, yeah, fairly right, technical the difference between those two uh, and sometimes those terms are used interchangeably but there is a legal difference yes, yeah okay thank so So from there, if parties are unable to reach agreement, uh, what happens is that there's then a process of preparing court documents. And the process of preparing court documents in parenting matters, there's generally two key documents that uh, need to be prepared. There's uh, an application to the court, which tells the court what you're asking for, what parenting arrangements you're seeking for your children. And then an affidavit that's supports that which tells the court why you're asking for what you're asking for. There's a few other documents that need to be filed. There's a notice of risk and then um, a copy of that uh, family dispute resolution certificate that I've talked about. Um, And sometimes people are actually, they're not the person that initiates court proceedings, Lucy, they're responding to them. Um, And if that's the case, it's a slightly different set of court documents that are prepared. Instead of an initiating application, uh, a response is prepared. Um, and but again that document tells the court uh, what parenting arrangements you're asking for and then there's a supporting affidavit explaining why you're seeking those arrangements Um, so that's a very key part of the court process is preparing those court documents so much of what happens in the court process relies on um, those what's in those documents rather than what's said verbally so making sure sure those documents comply with the requirements that the court set in terms of and I'll talk about this a little bit later on the length and what uh, should be included and shouldn't be included Uh, so it's very important that that's done right because it really sets up um, a matter well uh, for the rest of the court process mm-hmm, yeah and and I mean if you are you able to give us a timing <laughs> you know I know every case is different this is something I have learned but are you, yeah. you know from from finding out oh goodness I'm going to take this to court or I've got to respond because I'm my partner's yeah. take, my ex-partner's taking it to court 
is it just like every case is unique or is there a particular timing on on how long it could take yeah, it does depend. So, um, in you know a particular, particularly urgent matter where there's issues of uh, international flight, if if a parent is uh, uh, making indications they're going to remove a child from the country, it needs to be done very quickly. The actual preparation of the court documents and getting the matter before the court, and that can sometimes be done within the space of you know three to four days or a week where there's a real urgency situation. But in non-urgent situations situations, you're looking at uh, probably preparation of documents taking around about two to three weeks. And then from the time that the documents are filed with the court, um, you're really looking at generally about six to eight weeks for that first court date, unless it's uh, unless it's very urgent. We've got ways of, of getting the court, if it's urgent, to pull that court date forward very quickly. Right. Okay. All right. So um, there's so many parts to going to court and um, mm-hmm. I'd like to go into more detail about them really but we haven't got time in this podcast so the the time that I'd like to focus on at the moment is between learning that we have to go to court like as you say you've either we've just said already you can either be a respondent or you can be an initiator mm. and that first court date I think that's a time which is is quite stressful um, because people have they're going into the unknown But it's a time which can actually be used to um, our advantage because we can get prepared um, to make the most of our time in court. What should we be using that time to do? Yeah, so I think probably my biggest tip, um, Lucy, is to stay focused on the big picture and the key issues. Um, the reality is is that we are facing very big resourcing issues uh, in the family courts at the moment, and the courts um, simply don't have time to hear and read a full background of everything that has happened in your relationship and situation. You know, if you were to think about writing your, your life story of, of the time that you were together with your ex and and what that would include and what that would involve. The court simply doesn't have the capacity to look at things in that level of detail. So what we do is we try to get people focused on on the issues. And when we talk about issues, we're uh, talking about, okay, is it that you and your ex are unable to agree about medical treatment for your child? Are you able to, um, are you unable to agree, agree about which school they should attend? Are you unable to agree about what the actual parenting arrangement structure should be? So we really want to stay focused at that high level and then introduce evidence and information that um, that supports those issues and provides the court with the information to determine those issues. So it's quite a discrete process. And that's been a focus of the court, Lucy, over the last um, 12 months to two years in particular, where... Uh, Prior to the last two years, it was a situation where the parties could pretty much file whatever they liked in terms of length and um, annexures and supporting evidence, um, and that would be accepted when it was filed. Um, now, lawyers would try to, you know, tone that down quite a bit and, and uh, minimise it so that it was focused on the issues, but there was no actual limit on that. But the court has now actually introduced that with the filing of the initial documents, um, 
if it's a straight parenting matter, it's limited to 10 pages uh, of, uh, of an affidavit and then five supporting annexures. So that means, you know, you've really got to get to the point of, of um, presenting the right information to the court and the right supporting uh, evidence. Um, and that's one of the other things that we suggest, Lucy, in that lead up to going to court is sourcing and providing the right documents and evidence that supports your position. So if it is uh, an issue about you can't agree about where the children should go to school, if, for example, you know, there's extreme bullying happening with your child at the school they're attending and that's the reason for the change, you need to be providing evidence from the school uh, in the form of an affidavit from the teacher or other supporting evidence, you know, um, subpoenaing the uh, school guidance counsellor to get notes from that. Uh, so it's about providing the right information and the right evidence. Um, and the final thing that I'll mention on that point, Lucy, is also just following the deadlines that are indicated by the court and given by your lawyer. Uh, there are some very significant consequences for failing to file documents on, on time and failing to follow deadlines. And those can include costs orders being made against you. So not only that you pay your own lawyer's costs, but you're going to pay your ex's lawyer's costs as well. So, you know, if your lawyer is following up saying, I need this information now, it is quite critical that you do provide it. Yes, so, um, I, and the lawyers, are they all over? Are you all over those deadlines for us? <laughs> we are, yes. So sure we you are. have all our risk management systems where we have those diarised and we're following up and, you know, following up in advance that it's not, you know, the day of it's due. We, we usually have reminders at two weeks and a week and, right. and, and regular <laughs> reminders. But, yeah, there is a, is us a single mums, we've got a yes. million, million plates that we're spinning. Exactly. But it's, so it sounds to me like it's, it's all about saying... Um, you need to stick to the facts, get yes. your evidence and be aware of the deadlines during this time. Right. And that's what you're there to support people with, to give you the best mm -hmm. chance of that time in court. Mm -hmm. So look, we very casually mentioned going to court and the final hearing and things like that. But most people, myself included, have never been near a courtroom in their lives. Um, mm -hmm. So it's very daunting and, and scary, I would say. So can you just tell us what we can expect to happen when we actually go into court for the day? Certainly. So the first thing to be aware of is sometimes people um, come with the perception that going to court is a single event of just turning up to one court date. Um, but it's actually a series of court dates over about anywhere from, you know, 12 months to two years, sometimes longer in very complex um, and, and difficult matters. So you need to prepare yourself for the fact that it's not just a single court date that you're going to attend. It's, it's multiple court dates. Um, I'll break down the court dates into two categories and talk about those. The first is um, court dates leading up to the final hearing and then the actual final hearing. So court dates leading up to the final hearing, the first thing I can tell you is there's going to be a lot of waiting at the court dates. The bulk of what you will do on that day when you're at court is sit around waiting. So on all court dates, uh, your matter is going to be listed along with lots of other matters before the judge. Uh, you're not the only matter listed in front of the judge that day. Um, sometimes you will be listed with as many as 40 other matters. So if you divide that out between, you know, the, the court sits between 10 and 4 and they've got to hear 40 matters, the amount of time that we're actually going to get before the judge is, you know, 15 minutes to half hour at the most. 
the rest of the time is kind of going to be sent, spent uh, spent waiting. Um, the other thing is that at all the court dates leading up to the final hearing, you're going to be encouraged by your lawyer and the judge to try to negotiate and reach agreement, even if you have tried at other points along the path. So even if you have been to family dispute resolution, even if you've been to a previous court date and tried to reach agreement and it hasn't worked, you are still going to be encouraged to try to reach agreement. And that is from the point of view that reaching agreement is the most cost-effective and timely way to resolve your matter. And Oftentimes, the process of reaching agreement, while it wasn't possible early on, will become possible once further information plays out through the court process. Um, the final thing is that um, if you have a lawyer, you won't normally need to say anything during those court dates. Uh, the, the lawyers will speak on your behalf to the judge. However, we do have a couple of judges, particularly uh, in, the, in the Brisbane jurisdictions, who like to actually hear from the parties directly. Even if you do have a lawyer, sometimes the judge will specifically ask you a question and um, you will need to respond if that's the case. The lawyer, lawyer, your lawyer will try to intervene to minimise that if you're feeling nervous, but sometimes the judge will ask you a question that you need to respond to. The other category of court dates, so the final hearing, uh, is very different uh, to all the court dates leading up to it. A uh, couple of things to be aware of is that the final hearing uh, is more like what you see on television of where um, you will have to sit in a witness box and give evidence and be cross-examined, as will your ex, um, and the judge will hear things and make a final decision. Um, and your matter will be listed for based on the time that is needed to fully hear and determine the matter. Sometimes matters are listed for one day. Sometimes I've been in a in a five day trial. So it depends on the complexity of the matter. Um, Another unfortunate thing to be aware of is that even if you are listed for final hearing on a specific date, sometimes you will not be heard on that date due to resourcing. Uh, oftentimes there are final hearings are double listed where the court uh, doesn't want to run the risk of a matter settling and then having an unused uh, hearing date. So they will double list matters, which means there is a chance your matter won't be heard and you'll have to come back later. Um, you will be cross-examined on that day, as I said, and that's a very difficult and confronting process, but your lawyer will prepare you and, and tell you what to expect. Uh, the final thing that I'll note there is on the final hearing date, if your matter does get heard, it is very rare that you will get a decision on that day. Uh, generally, the decision uh, will come anywhere from three to six months after your final hearing date. Uh, now, all of these things, Lucy, are really difficult to share, but it's better that you understand them going into the court process rather than, you know, only finding out along the way and you go, well, I had no idea that, you know, once I got to final hearing, I had to wait six months for, for my, my judgment and my decision or, you know, I had no idea that I had to go to court multiple times instead of once. So as part of our, um, we, we prepare clients uh, and their expectations for how this is going to play out so that you're really well informed along the way it sounds like it's almost an anti-climax 
Mm, mm. Would that be the right word to describe it? I mean, because people are going in and they're all puffed up and they've got their information and they've been prepared. They've got paperwork ready, stuck to the facts, got the evidence, as we were talking about earlier. And then you get in and, um, you know, you can see why they keep the the um, documentation down if it all has mm-hmm. to go through so quickly. But okay. like you say, so important for people to be aware of it yeah. um, so that they can be prepared for that. I mean, pack your sandwiches, um, exactly. take a flask of coffee, it sounds like you know it's it's not quite what we imagine a a day in court would be so thank you for letting us know I think that's a really important piece of information um, to help people prepare Um, look we are I'm looking at the time and you know I wish we had slightly longer because my next question for you is quite in depth so I'm going to ask you um, it's something that I really want to get in here because it's about that family court interview which is part Mm -hmm. of the process Um, we have had that many questions come up on our forum, especially about um, people who have found out they've got to have one. I don't know if I've used the right terminology there, family court interview. Um, and they don't know what's going to happen and what they need to do to prepare for it. So can you just tell us a little bit about that um, and, and why we shouldn't panic and what we should do instead if we are going to get um, interviewed by the family court? Certainly. So as you mentioned, Lucy, it is a really critical juncture of any parenting matter that's in court. Uh, And the reason for that is, is that generally when there's a parenting matter in court, the parents present two very different positions to the court and versions of events to the court. And it's very difficult for the court, even with um, sometimes evidence through subpoenas and different documents that are produced, it's very difficult for the court to determine which version they should accept. So a family report is a means of the court obtaining independent evidence uh, separate to the parties that is going to allow them to make an informed decision about what's in the best interests of the children. So there's certain people that can be appointed to complete a family report. Uh, and the person that completes a family report is generally uh, called a family consultant. And they will usually have a background in either psychology or social work. So they're very experienced uh, in dealing with families and and with children. Uh, and they are recognised as being experts in their field by, by the court. The actual process of the family report uh, and the interviews is there's no fixed structure. It really does depend on the individual family consultant. They have leeway in how they structure the, uh, the family report interviews and the process to some degree. But generally, we see some common uh, processes that that happen throughout the family report process, and I'll go through some of those. So the first thing is, is that the family consultant will generally review all of the documents that have been filed with the court. So your affidavit, your ex's affidavit, any subpoena material. Um, they will sometimes do that prior to the interviews, to talking with you and your ex and the children. Some family consultants, however, will do the interviews first and then read the material later. And again, that's within their discretion. Uh, the actual interview itself uh Again, uh, there's no kind of fixed approach for it, but the general themes that we see is that generally there's a one-on-one interview with each parent and the family consultant, 
And really what that's going to look like is the family consultant asking questions of you um, about a range of different things, the history of the relationship, how your co-parenting relationship might be working or not working at the moment, your position regarding what's best for the children, um, and even sometimes questions around what you've put in your affidavit. The interview will also uh, include an observation session of the family consultant observing you with the children. Uh, depending on the ages of the children, if the children are young, very young, this won't apply, but generally the family consultant will do interviews with the children uh, on their own to hear their views and to hear from the children so that they, they have a voice in the situation. Uh, now, this doesn't happen all the time, but it can happen, and the family consultant will talk to you in advance of it happening to check how you feel about it. But sometimes the family consultant will suggest there being a joint interview with you and your ex. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable with that, you need to tell the family consultant, and they will take on board that and generally not push it. Um, if you do feel comfortable doing it, then uh, it is just another source of information for the family consultant to be able to see how the two of you are working or not working together as, as parents. The other thing that the family report interviews can include is uh, interviews with significant other people in the children's life, for example, grandparents, step-siblings and new partners. So the interviews are generally conducted at the family consultants' offices. Uh, however, there are some occasions, particularly if there's issues of uh, risk or particular, particular allegations regarding a home environment, there are some exceptions where the family report interviews can take place at, uh, at the children's home. Uh, but that is really quite rare. Uh, I really haven't seen it that often in the last um, 10 to 15 years. It used to be more common. Uh, it's certainly not very common uh, in, in the current state. Generally, that family report interview process uh, takes a full day uh, and um, those groupings of interviews happen across the course of the day. The other thing to be aware of is that any information that you provide to the family consultant is not confidential. If you share it to the family consultant, they are at liberty to put it in their report. So don't think by saying, look, I'm going to share this with you, but I don't want you to put it in your report or this is confidential. They are not bound by that. So anything that you say is at liberty to be uh, put in their report and before their court, the court. Um, once the actual family report interview is uh, are completed, the family consultant will then prepare their report. And it's usually a very lengthy document ranging between about 25 and 50 pages that will summarise all the information that has been gathered through the interview process and through the reading of the documents. And then recommendations will be suggested by the family uh, consultant as to what is best for the children. Now, those recommendations may align with uh, your position for the children. It may align with your ex's position for the children, or it may actually be another position altogether that the two parents have not thought about. Um, the report will also include uh, the children's wishes and views if they've shared those. Um, and look, it can be really confronting, Lucy, to read that report. 
Um, so there are times where, you know, we will actually get clients in and sit with them and talk them through that report because it can be quite confronting depending on what it, what it says. If the family report aligns with your position, it's obviously less confronting than if it's, you know, aligning with um, the other parent's position or a different position altogether. Mm. I, I love the fact that the children get a voice in there as well, which is a great thing, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's a sort of one opportunity, unless they have sort of child, me- there is some sort of child-focused mediation that, that can happen as well, but, you know, it is, it is good. I mean, you, surely these, these reports can be used to, to our advantage to show the show people the way it really is um exactly but i suppose it depends which way you look at it look we haven't really got time for the last question but i'm just going to ask it anyway because i think it's really important the whole process is extremely stressful um you've seen and you've supported so many people through it not only with the lawyer stroke court staff but with the emotional toll too so what are your words of advice to our listeners to help them hold it together and get the very best outcome for themselves and their kids yeah, so I think the first thing to remember is that there is an end point. Uh, you will get through this. And, you know, there's days where you feel like you won't and that, you know, it's just never ending. But there is an end point. It's just that you don't exactly know what it looks like and you don't exactly know the date that it's coming. But, you know, every matter that I've uh, had Lucy has had an end point and there's uh, been, been an outcome. So I think, you know, staying focused on that, you know, this too will pass and, and that you will you will get through it is really important. Um, making sure you have a good support network around you, uh, you know, family, friends, um, single mums, mine, uh, having been on that uh, since we've been partnering with you guys is a great uh, support network. And, you know, we're, we're doing our bit at New Way, which you shared about Lucy, our client care program. So having that support network is really important. Uh, the other practical thing I can say is that when you do receive a copy of uh, your uh, ex's affidavit, you are going to need to read through it uh, and it is going to be one of the more confronting things that, that you read through. But don't dwell on it. Once you've read through it, um, put it aside, do what your lawyer asks you to do with it in terms of providing responses and uh, you know uh, information that they might need that's come up as a result of that. But really don't keep reading reading it it's going to take you to a negative place and um yeah read it read it once and do what your lawyer asks you to to do and then put it away the other thing is don't involve your children in the court process the court process is for adults and not for children apart from the family report interviews they really shouldn't be um privy to what's going on the different positions that each of you have uh, as as parents for their parenting arrangements um you know they need to be able to to be children through this so you know, we often have to have difficult discussions with clients who have shown their children the family report, shown the children their um, the affidavits that have been filed. And look, that applies loosely regardless of the age of your children. Even if your children are 16 or 17, they're still, still you know, children and they really shouldn't be exposed to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also to um, be willing to compromise. Uh, 
there is no such thing as a perfect outcome in this, um, whether that's through, uh, you know, the court process or through through agreement. Um, you know, really, it's about trying to find uh, a middle ground and a workable ground where your children are going to be uh, happy, healthy, and and safe. Um, but yeah, try to see things from um, each other's perspective, and hopefully, your ex's lawyer is also telling them that as well, because at the end of the day, it is always better if there can be agreement reached, even if that's at some point through the court process by you and your ex and you are self-determining uh, your parenting arrangements for the children rather than having a judge who doesn't know everything about your situation determine an outcome for you. Um, so they're probably the main tips that I would give uh, Lucy. Great. And especially when you're only in the court for 15 minutes and that person's exactly. making a decision yeah. about your future and your children's future. But also mm-hmm. a really great point there about don't dwell on the affidavit the amount of people friends of mine but also people that I've come across in my business who have got so upset about what's in that affidavit um yeah I think that's a great point yeah you know look at it put it down do those things and then forget about it because it's not always the truth is it it's just someone else's point of view but uh, look we really are running over so we're going to wrap up I've managed to squeeze in all of my questions which I'm very happy about Um, but before we finish can I I just ask you to tell our listeners where they can find you, you know, your website address and and what you can offer them in support in terms of your uh, free chats as well. Yeah, certainly. So the easiest way to make contact if you need help is to head to our website, newwaylawyers.com.au. We have four branch offices, Brisbane City, Indrapilly, Capalba and Burley Waters. Uh, And if you're needing help, just just give us a call. Uh, Once you call through, uh, there's a free 20-minute phone consultation with one of our lawyers uh, to talk about your situation. Uh, And a lot of people find that really, really helpful and sometimes that is all they need other times people do need uh, ongoing assistance from there and we are able to provide that as well Uh, but we are only a phone call away for anyone that is needing that that help in family law matters brilliant thank you for thank you for explaining that and I don't recommend that many people to my audience I'm very specific about who I work with at Beanstalk because I want to make sure that all of the mums who pass through my space are in safe hands but certainly in the case of new way lawyers I can't recommend you enough really not only for your experience which is number of years of experience and it's uniquely in family and property law but also your significantly cheaper rates which make it much easier for single mums and also this brilliant client care program which I've already mentioned it sets you apart from all other lawyers in my opinion and I really am very honoured to work with you so thank you for coming on and chatting to me today and for everything that you do for us at Beanstalk. Our pleasure Lucy thanks for having us. And to all the single mums who are listening in, the family court process is daunting and we have only skinned the surface in this chat. But I want you to know that there are people out there who can help and not only with the law, 
court side of things, but with the emotional impact that comes alongside it. So if you've got any questions or you want further support based on your individual situation, head to the Single Mum Vine on a Wednesday evening or just give New Way Lawyers a call straight away and they'll be able to help you with their free chat. Um, we are very proud and we recommend them very confidently to all of our mums. Um, and remember, if you've not visited my website, beanstalkmums.com.au, make sure you do. You'll find lots more podcasts like this and there's heaps of other wonderful resources for your single mother journey. And you can chat to me anytime on our anonymous single mum forum or on the Single Mum Vine Facebook group, all of which is reached via the website. And one final point before we leave you. If this podcast has helped you, please take just 30 seconds to rate and review it because the more reviews we can get, the easier the podcasts are to find by other single mums who also need support, guidance, guidance and companionship on their journeys. Until next time, ladies, goodbye. <laughs>